Blacksburg, and this is our fifth podcast. With me today is Angelina Levy, Nurse Gina, to you and to me. Um, so today we're going to talk about some stuff. We'll start off with COVID. Um, I think um, interest in these numbers has kind of waned because <laughs> they're not changing as much as they were a couple weeks ago. So New River Valley, it's 90 cases, so you know, 10 cases in the last week, no new hospitalizations, and still that one death. So, um, kind of sitting on our hands here, um, in the New River Valley, nothing really changing, um, still a gradual increase, like we've said before, and everybody knows or should know by now, two weeks, um, from any change we make in our social distancing policy is when we should see the effects, so we're still a little bit away from that on this phase one trial, but we'll see. The curves are looking good across the state. Realize Northern Virginia is not quite open, is, is not open, many counties in Northern Virginia, so we don't expect those, um, we would expect those numbers to keep coming down, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Any other things we should say about that, Gina? I can't think of anything right now. Um... I want to see a graph of how many hits this website has had in the last week. I bet that's down. (laughs) That's encouraging. Lost some interest in this. Um, There's a cool banner here. The Virginia Department of Health is recruiting, um, hiring contact tracers. Gina got to do this, was it last Mm -hmm. weekend? Yep, I did. Friday and Saturday. Um, So if you are sitting at home board and need something to do... um, yeah, man. Join us on the front lines. <laughs> uh, I say that a little bit facetiously. Um, Sound like it. <laughs> um, but that no, could be cool. So uh, a lot of questions this week about um, a vaccine and what what needs to happen for that. What Where are we with that? Um, what's the actual feasibility of having a vaccine for this? How quickly could that happen? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, I think there's some interesting things um, that maybe not everybody has um, thought about that we can share. So we're going to talk about that. So first off, um, some background on vaccines and kind of three things that are specific challenges to a COVID-19 vaccine. Okay, so... First of all, um, the vaccine has to produce immunity, right? Um, in, or antibodies first, but immunity. So it, it has. This starts in animal trials typically, um, and that's kind of where we are with some of these um, that are being developed. Um, we can induce immunity, or induce antibodies. I'm sorry, these are two different things. But you can induce antibodies to coronavirus in monkeys now. Um, so that's step one, and that's kind of a baby step. That, that's an easier thing to do than some of these others. The second is, do these antibodies provide long-term protection? That's a huge question. Um, you know, coronavirus, like many viruses, can mutate, is mutating. Um, you know, HIV is a virus we've tried to develop a vaccine for for a long time. Don't have one yet. And the main reason being, it it mutates, right? 
Um, so that that's the, the second phase. You know, if, if the virus mutates, then your your earned immunity here from your vaccine might not help. And then another thing, there's probably many other challenges, but another one is, does this produce an immune response um, in older people? So it's very easy to get a little healthy, active immune system to create antibodies. Much more difficult to get antibody production in elderly people. Um, so... Uh, and, and right, that's our target. So the younger, healthy people with good immune systems are much likely to have a, less likely to have a problem with COVID anyway. So challenges that need to be overcome. Um, and and um, tell us about phase, um, what am I looking for? Um, phases in a clinical trial. Because that's another thing that's in the media right now. Basically, we're fortunate. One of the things I was reading was we're fortunate because we were actually already working on trying to develop a vaccine for the coronavirus. For SARS. Exactly. For SARS and MERS. And SARS being the severe acute respiratory syndrome, right? And that was in Southeast Asia and spread around the world a little bit. And then the Mideast Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, which was uh, more localized. A lot of people are just now like finding out about that if they, if they missed it when it actually happened. But these are other coronaviruses that um, very, very similar to the current COVID-19 virus. Right. Because those have been responsible for two global outbreaks in the last 20 years. And so researchers were already working on vaccines to um, try and deal with that. And they were deep into the clinical trial process. So you don't just make a vaccine, as you were saying. And right now, it's interesting, there are about 35 pharma, big farm groups, I will oh, wow. say, right. 35 groups, as long with educational institutions, medical education institutions that are trying to work on developing a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you're referring to is an investigational process in order to develop vaccines, and that's Mm -hmm. divided up into several phases. And usually the FDA um, defines phase one as a group of study participants, and usually it only involves 20 to 100 healthy people, um, and they study those people and their health for several months, and only about 70% of drugs or vaccines are able to move on even to the next phase, and I think that's kind of depending on who you talk to, which company you talk to. Mm-hmm. Many say they're at phase one, some say they've already advanced to phase two. Now, phase two usually involves several hundred people that are doing the same thing, but the focus of phase two is really um, related to the efficacy and the number of side effects people might experience from receiving a vaccine. Right, which is something I left out earlier. Safety, right, Mm -hmm. is a huge challenge. Huge. And and that's what these phases are. A big part of what these phases are doing is... Establishing safety. It's always safety. Phase one focuses on safety and dosing. Phase two 
really focuses on efficacy and side effects. And that actually takes longer. That can be anywhere from several months to a couple of years. And only about 33% of drugs or vaccines are able to move on to the next phase. And then phase three will involve several thousand volunteers who actually have been diagnosed with the disease or the condition. Mm -hmm. And that process can be as long as four years. And again, that focuses on efficacy and monitoring adverse reactions. Um, and by then, only 25 to 30% of drugs or vaccines are able to move to the next phase. Right. And last of all, there's phase four. Um, again, that's just going to be focused on safety and efficacy and involving monitoring thousands of volunteers, again, who have the disease or the condition. Right. And scaling it at that mm-hmm. point. So. Right. And I think... Um, you know, obviously we've got money thrown at this right now. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's in a race. Uh, I saw some interesting articles about the ethics of these volunteer human trials where people are signing up, mm-hmm. mostly in other countries, I guess the FDA has not approved this, mm-hmm. to have these vaccines tested on them. Mm-hmm. So these would be healthy people saying, um, I want to be given the vaccine and then exposed to COVID right. to see if I respond to it. And right. um, so, yeah. and, you know, honestly, typically in the past to develop a safe and effective vaccine, it's taken at minimum five years, but really more like 10 years on average. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think so anybody, that, anybody disagrees that these phases or at least some series of checks and balances need to occur. Um, that right. sounds like it's getting <laughs> so it's going to be pushed yeah. why is it being pushed right now why is it well for one yeah. thing we're having an outbreak right so during an outbreak there's more resources and funding that is available mm-hmm. um, to help us speed up this process um, mm-hmm. and products might even be considered for use even before they're formally granted license mm-hmm. uh, in order to control the dis- disease right mm-hmm. during an emergency so that's why we're able to kind of expedite thing mm-hmm. yeah and if if you want to do some sort of interesting historical reading um dr fauci we all know him by now mm-hmm. um was actually in the middle of a huge debate over this very issue when the hiv epidemic started right mm-hmm. and they had new drugs that they wanted approved that were in these clinical trials. And um, Dr. Fauci literally had protests outside of his office for months Mm. um, of people with HIV wanting permission to take these drugs experimentally, sure. Um, And he has since said some really interesting things about his decision-making then, how he's making different decisions now. Um, um, So it's, it's... Bioethics is a, a sticky wicket, as somebody I know occasionally says. Right. That's a, a main terminology, New England terminology. That. <laughs> um, give me some names that you might see. Um, the biggest U.S. company doing this right now is Moderna. Um, well, I, know, I shouldn't say biggest company, but one of the, the closest to it, it seems. Um, who actually already in some human trials um, with their vaccine. They have a special permission to enter phase two of their clinical trial. In vivo is another group doing this. Um, 
Invivo is the one that already had started on the SMERS, the previous coronavirus, and um, so they already had a leg up on some of that. They are enrolling, apparently, end of April, enrolled 40 healthy volunteers and have started phase one, hoping to start phase two this summer. Oxford in England has a trial with 500 participants, um, although, and they also have some monkeys involved in that development um, that those are the monkeys I was mentioning earlier. Poor monkeys, have, huh? Have developed, um, have developed antibodies at least. Um, so whether that will be, and there's a group in Australia, and some bigger pharmaceutical companies. I know Johnson and Johnson and Sanofi are both throwing a lot of money at this too. So um, we'll see. We will see. Fauci has said it will be 12 to 18 months before we'd have one that is available for widespread use, but then he also said that, you know, we may have multiple vaccines with various levels of efficacy, but in the interest of vaccinating billions of people worldwide, that might not be a bad thing, just to have as much as we can get going. So, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So many ethical questions around it. Um, so, it's not an interesting thing. I don't know how much about it, um, about using the polio vaccine to boost immunity. Um, apparently there's some studies going on on that, that to use a current vaccine to boost immunity for this. Um, anyway. So, lots to learn, lots to find out. Um, kind of a segue for... Well, go ahead, Gina. Well, I was going to say, too, I think a lot of people come down on the FDA when they're thinking about vaccines, but they're not realizing, like, there there's a basically... I can't think of a better way to describe it than an army of people at the FDA that actually try and ensure that a vaccine is safe before mm-hmm. it's distributed among the population. And that involves, you know, you've got project managers, you've got medical officers, you've got a huge group of statisticians that are interpreting these clinical trial results and their designs, and they're they're making sure that protocols uh, that involve, like I said, safety and efficacy are being managed. Then you've got a pharmacologist and something called a group of people that's very interesting called pharmacokineticists. And those are people that strictly monitor the drug's absorption, how it's distributed and metabolized in the human body, and how it's excre- excreted. So all they do is interpret blood level data basically at different intervals during the clinical trial as a way to assess whether or not the drug dosage and administration is safe based on the schedule that it's going to be um, set forth, you know, on. And, And then there's chemists and also microbiologists. So I only say that because we're not talking about a single person or a small office of people. We're talking about a huge group of people that are committed to this mm-hmm. yeah I mean the the pharmacokinetic thing is interesting you know I can stick it in you but does it do what it's supposed to do once it's in there mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's just fascinating yeah really. I, th- I think you will see in the next months you know you'll pull up your Facebook account and it'll say hey you want to volunteer for a trial <laughs> um, and you may have that opportunity. That could be, I don't know. I don't know. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere here in Southwest Virginia. Maybe we won't get to be on those front lines. 
Um, but one thing that we did want to kind of want to mention, uh, we've had um, um, briefs from the Department of Health, from the State Commissioner on Health, um, come to our office, and it's come to us as providers. We've also seen stuff on the CDC and the VDH on what the what the effects that COVID is having on other vaccine administration. Um, um, a lot of kids missing routine vaccines. Mm-hmm. A lot of people missing routine things like a shingle shot or a, a pneumonia shot because they don't want to go to the pharmacy right now <laughs> or because supply um, chains have been interrupted. So um, they're calling for increased scrutiny on our part for diseases that we would typically um, not deal with because of herd immunity and vaccines, um, but um, also encouraging you as our patients and um, anyone who's due for stuff to figure out ways to make that happen. The health department is still doing these. Um, Those doors have not closed. Um, And especially in this sort of lull right now where we're not seeing a lot of new cases, um, maybe a great time to get out there and get some of this stuff kind of stuff done, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, when you look at what Moderna has produced in regards to their interim phase one data testing, they're basically okay. saying that so far the vaccine trial that patients have, um, it's been generally safe and well-tolerated, and the only things that have been experienced thus far are just minor redness and swelling at higher doses, but none of the volunteers have faced any life-threatening events during the six weeks of study. So heads up on that, it's only been six weeks, right? Mm -hmm. And the messenger RNA that you talked about Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago um, has actually been able to produce some antibodies that are binding to a target spike protein that's on the coronavirus, which is very, very encouraging. Um, The study population in phase one trials uh, includes right now for Moderna about 45 volunteers and their ages range from 18 to 55. So that means you and I are in the population that could have volunteered to do this. Although I'm, I'm close to being kicked out, but you could be doing this over and over again for a good long time, Dr. Matt and Dr. Likashir, if you guys volunteer for this. Maybe, One of the future trials. Maybe we, should, maybe we should. You can mail us one. I'll give it to myself. I also want to say that they are still saying that the antibody response is highly variable. So remember, this is phase one. Right. Right. And, and, and like, like I mentioned earlier, this has to work for, for our target population, which is higher risk people who may not have immune systems as, strong, as strengthy as these young volunteers or these monkeys. I don't know. I don't know how strong these monkeys' immune systems were. Anyway, I also wanted to share real quick. Yeah. Do you know that some of the volunteers get paid for clinical trials, Dr. Matt? There you go. Some of them get paid. Yes, I'd gig, Gina. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> and the highest paying um, volunteers average around $2,000, U.S. dollars for the entire clinical yeah. trial. So I don't know if you would think that it was worth putting your entire life at risk. <laughs> for vaccine development for two thousand bucks, Doctor Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, no, I could do a lot to my truck with two thousand bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's-
That's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, there in in my both of our reading for some of this, there, there's a lot of other stuff being researched going through similar trials. Um, there's not vaccines, several antivirals. Um, uh, remdesivir being probably the most um, um, famous one, I guess. Um, that was a drug that was developed for Ebola um, back mm. in the, whenever that was, 2013-14, um, um, and it failed clinical trials then. Though it was safe, it, it, it was safe to take. It didn't really do what it was um, supposed to with Ebola, but it did work some with MERS, so that's, that's an interesting option. Obviously mm. still in clinical trials. Um, um, one of the issues with I think it was the remdesivir trial was it didn't have enough people volunteering to to try it that's fine <laughs> um, um, and then there's a few others um, there was the one in Japan which was the one in Japan I can't remember now that had some promise so a couple antivirals you were going to say something well, I was going to say, I didn't realize that these groups actually work together. Like, when I thought these, when I think of these groups, when I hear them, I think that, oh, yeah, um, you know, Moderna, for example, has been totally approved to produce an RNA-based vaccine. But that's not necessarily true. Like, Johnson & Johnson right now has only been approved for a preclinical phase. Okay. Um, you know, Inovia has been approved for a DNA-based vaccine. So that's a DNA-based ba vaccine. Mm. Moderna's been approved mm -hmm. for an RNA-based vaccine, mm -hmm. but only phase one. So a lot of these groups are having to work together in order to come up with one vaccine, one successful vaccine. And mm -hmm. I find that super interesting. I didn't realize that. Uh, you know, I think the one big you know, barrier to this is the competitiveness that has to be occurring, right? Mm -hmm. Of know, course. You've got people sworn to secrecy, sneaking in and out of a lab, doing research. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, almost like a Cold War. <laughs> I'm trying to develop this, but yeah. Um, to kind of summarize some of the other things we've all heard about, the hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine um, studies ongoing. I don't know, not super impressive. Some studies on monoclonal antibodies. We've all heard about this convalescent plasma um, treatment where mm -hmm. people are getting blood plasma trans, uh, transfer. So, you know, the blood plasma is what holds these antibodies. So basically trying to move antibodies from one person who's recovered to someone who might be in the middle of a real battle with COVID. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, interesting. Hope it works. We'll see some stem cell trials. They're actually into phase two. Um... Um, on a mesoblast um, stem cell treatment for acute respiratory syndrome, from which is what COVID can cause, and then some immune suppressants. So you guys have seen in the um, recent news um, some of these cytokine or um, inflammatory reactions that kids can have with this, and um, some scientists say that this is what. Uh, part of what puts people into acute respiratory distress syndrome um, is this sort of immune response. So if we can suppress that response in someone who's already got the vac, already has COVID, um, we can prevent them from going into the respiratory failure. So I don't know, some interesting stuff. All So, you know, all these trials, all these drugs and treatments mm -hmm. have to go through these similar trials to be used in the United States at least. So That's good. 
So I also have to, you know, remember when I'm reading things that mm -hmm. not all research is created equal. Like, right. you know, we hear the words expert opinion. You and I were talking about this not long ago. And right. that sounds so impressive, you know, like you go to trial and what do you see at trial? An expert, an expert opinion witness. giving, right. yes, an expert witness or expert opinion, right? You've been asked to do that in the past, right? Give expert opinion right. based on a case, right? Um, but in science, we actually consider that the lowest level or one of the lowest levels of scientific evidence, right? So it's confusing to the general public because we hear expert opinion, we hear case control studies, and then we hear systematic reviews, and the media presents them as if they're all in the same category, but they're not. They're very, very different. Right. So, like, if I... This is a great topic to close out with. You know, if I... If you come in the office here and I tell you... Um, here's one that comes up all the time. Many of you have heard this from me. A center score. Okay, so this is a score we use to clarify our testing for strep. You know, so Did you say a sinner score or a cent center score? Center score. Sorry, oh, I, I mumbled. <laughs> Just making sure. I mumbled. So, you know, I, and you know, we have a test for strep, and it's not that great a test. So we use this, you know, so there's been research done, and which started as expert opinion and then was backed, and, you know, that is a you know, level A recommendation. You know, when I look up in my up-to-date app on my phone or my computer or if I pull a textbook off the shelf, which, you know, that's getting harder and harder to do these days. You can find it faster on the computer. Um, you know, I'm looking for what what is the level of evidence that I'm passing on to you? So, you know, some evidence that we might share in the office is level C evidence. Mm -hmm. You know, this is evidence from small clinical trials or expert opinion or case case reviews you know mm -hmm. somebody published that this happened to them and they tried this and it worked that's a case right. that's a case exactly. okay right um you know level two evidence you know, we've got controlled controlled trials um you know combined into meta-analysis Versus level one, where we have large consensus around many clinical controlled trials and then years of experience of recommending this, and it works. Mm -hmm. So um, even at direct primary care of Blacksburg, really? <laughs> not all medical advice is created equal. And, you know, that would be awesome. You guys should ask me that sometime. So what level of advice was that? That's frightening, <laughs> Dr. Matt. Um, so... Anyway, I just want to say for the record, Nurse Gina is going to be sticking to A-level recommendations <laughs> that are based on consistent and good quality patient-oriented evidence. All right. Right, right. And the, and and many of you have heard us say this, and this this is this is huge. You know, we're you know you're paying us as medical professionals for our opinion. You know, if you want expert advice, you can find that anywhere. You know. We're going to give you our opinion, and this is what we base it on. And that's not, you know, that COVID is a great example of something we don't have an answer for, right? And so, sure, people who are threatened by this are going to try different things, and that's happening everywhere. And that's not necessarily all bad. So uh, when I come into the office at 10 or 11 at night sometimes, and I'm sitting, you're sitting here reading a stack of medical literature, right, <laughs> that is 
mostly at the level of systematic re systematic reviews or meta-analysis, which is the highest level of evidence. Just, just getting a little far-fetched. That's, <laughs> that's what you're basing your expert opinion on. Is that what you're saying? When I'm sitting there sound asleep, doing, just <laughs> pretending to read this. No, um, yeah, exactly. And, and I think as medical professionals, we need to be very honest with our patients or with anybody that, um, you know, here's the line, I don't know after this point, and, you know, your proposed solution, I can say, well, I think that's dangerous, I think that's not dangerous, I just don't have a comment on that, maybe, because I just, I don't, I don't right. know the answer, and knock yourself out, try it, let's see what happens, let's write our own case study here. <laughs> so you're not prescribing based on Wikipedia-level evidence, is what you're saying, no. even though I do like Wikipedia, no. but let's not talk about that publicly. Yeah, Wikipedia, I enjoy some <laughs> Wikipedia rambles. Um, anyway, thank you all for listening and for your um, just smiling faces this week. We got to see a few people that we've just really enjoyed. Um, it's, it's been a good week, actually, of um, delivering primary care, which Gina and I both just get um, so much joy from doing and have, have missed some of that as we've had, had to scale back in the last couple of weeks. So um, be safe. Send us questions, thoughts concerns oh if you can now look us up on um apple itunes or apple podcasts probably the easiest way to look up this podcast now is to go to um direct primary care of blacksburg.com and click on podcast and all our podcasts are listed there um we've turned off the comments just send us private comments please um but hopefully that works better from some of you who are having trouble with the soundcloud files so Anything else to say? No, I hope everybody has a wonderful week. Yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>